0: Hey everybody, this is lesson four of our series on the GOAT. Um, I'm going to be talking in this particular episode, Justice and Jesus. I have figured out a way, you may have noticed, to get the audio a little bit better, Um, transitioning it from Facebook Live to podcast. I hope that that's been helpful. I hope that it's been enjoyable to listen to as far as audio quality, as well as uh, content quality pray that it's been a blessing and I really hope that it's helped you have some conversations as well as some understanding. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Tonight I'm going to be discussing uh, the topic of justice and Jesus. So This is uh, obviously, we've been building up to this moment right here. We've been looking throughout the Old Testament at the dire need for justice. We've broken down what justice and righteousness is, which is mishpat and sedekah. So at this point in the series of lessons, you should have a firm grasp of what uh, all this is about. So we've been building up to see the way the man Jesus would handle these concepts of justice and righteousness. So. We really want to see how Jesus does all of this, and that's what we're going to discuss tonight. And before I get started, if uh, you would like to go back and watch some of these videos, they are on our YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube and type type in A.J. Holloway, and if you go to my channel, you can see I've got uh, biblical teaching, and you can go and you can watch the Day of the Lord series. Um, I'm going to have more series on there. You can watch this series. Also, our podcast. If you go check out on Apple Podcasts, and Spotify you can look us up and it's under the Timothy Network if you type in the Timothy Network you can listen to these if you don't have time to watch a video you can actually listen to these while you're mowing the grass and I'm trying to put it into many as many places as possible to just kind of kind of help people out uh, if they want to listen so let's get started Um, It's important to know that throughout the biblical narrative, as we've discussed, God wanted to show through Abraham justice and righteousness. And I'm going to pull that scripture up again. We discussed it in lesson two, but I want to pull it up again just so we're up to speed. It says, For I have chosen him, speaking of Abraham, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, that's mishpat tzedekah, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So God pulls out a man out of a secular uh, corrupt society and he says, I'm going to use this man to show forth, to show the world what I'm like by practicing justice and righteousness. Well, as we progress through the biblical narrative, we see king after king got away from this command right here in Genesis 18. And we see the nation of Israel, uh, the, the generations after Abraham, they're becoming more and more unjust Uh, they totally forsook the vulnerable amongst them they were taking advantage of the widow the immigrant the orphan and the poor Uh, they are totally wreaking havoc they're no longer representing god to the other nations they didn't heed the word of the prophets that we talked about in lesson three so god allows after the prophets go and tell them repent go and take care of those that are vulnerable seek justice walk humbly Uh, that's micah we we're, we're seeing that they they're seemingly incapable of doing these things and so God wisely and I'm going to use that and highlight that word he wisely allows persecution and persecution came in the form of another nation coming and essentially bullying them Uh, it was the the Babylonian empire come through and takes them captive and essentially enslaves them and again, I want to show you that God wisely allowed persecution because I feel like it's relevant to what we're experiencing in 2020. God strategically and systematically allowed persecution to come as a way of revealing empathy to the persecuted. An interesting Greek word for revelation or to reveal, it's a familiar word, it's, it's apocalypse. God allowed an apocalypse, a persecution, a hard time to reveal some things to them. The wisdom and purpose of persecution is for the persecuted to stop, the Hebrew word Shabbat, to Shabbat and say, okay, what's going on here? And what is happening is the persecuted should stop and say, huh? So this is what it feels like to be mistreated. That is what we're intended to see. This is what Israel was happening. And God strategically said, okay guys, the way you've been treating the vulnerable amongst you, let me show you what it feels like. And God takes his hands off them, Babylon comes in and Babylon begins to persecute them. And the wise person says, oh, so this is what we were doing to the vulnerable. I see now. And that should cause the wise to lift up their hands, to seek God and say, God, I see exactly what you've been, what we've been doing to people. I see it now. I've experienced it myself. I won't do this to anyone ever again. That is the strategic purpose of persecution. Okay? I cannot highlight that enough. So Israel would cry out and grace would be given to them, showing them once again how it feels to be oppressed with the purpose of giving them a revelation, an apocalypse, as you would, of how to treat others. That was the point and that was the purpose. Yet to no avail, Mankind cannot seem to treat people with the dignity they deserve. Let me start this timer. We need, uh, as it were, Israel needed a hardware or a, a software update, if you will. And so this is where the prophet Ezekiel comes in. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart. Now, this is Ezekiel prophesying to them. And saying, You guys just, you're not getting it. You're just, you're seemingly not getting it. I'm sending you persecution. You're repenting, but then you're falling right back into your old ways. So Ezekiel says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's Mishpat and Sedekah, that's his statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So the question is, is, okay, God, we're obviously incapable. So the only way we can do this is we're going to have to take your righteousness and justice, and you're going to have to fill us with yourself so that we can act the way we're supposed to act. How are you going to do that, though? We need some more insight. Well, God sends the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59. It says, Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and was astonished. That there was no one to intercede no one to speak on behalf is what that's saying of those that are vulnerable then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle and this is what he says in verse 20 a redeemer will come to zion what the prophet isaiah was showing us he says guys somebody's gonna come to show us how it's done. And this is where we see Jesus. But before Jesus's earthly ministry, now we've always seen that before the Lord shows up to do his his bidding, he always sends a prophet first. The prophet is God's patience incarnate. And the prophet says, guys, I'm the voice of God giving you one more chance. That's what I'm here for. And it's no different in the New Testament. Before Jesus's ministry begins, watch what happens luke 1 it is he who will go as a forerunner this is talking about the prophet john before him talking about jesus in the spirit and power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a pe- people prepared for the lord what we're seeing here is god doesn't change he said i'm going to send you a prophet." Before I do anything, and my prayer is that you will just hear the voice of the prophets. However, we've seen in the past that you don't listen to the prophets. Now listen to the voice of this unapologetic prophet, John. Listen to what he says to some Pharisees, some self-righteous people. He says, indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So he's speaking poetically. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cutting down, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And what, what John is saying, he says, the, the axe is coming against you. He's chopping you down today. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? And this is the correct response. They were saying, what do we need to do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. You see what's going on here? John is preaching the same message that all the prophets we discussed in lesson three were preaching. He said, Guys, stop taking advantage of people. This is what you need to do. If you have two tunics, you've got more than enough. Give one of them to somebody who doesn't have one. And do the same with the food. Look in your pantry. If you're if you're well stocked, guess what? You can share with somebody who's not well stocked. And guess what? Tax collectors stop stealing from people. Don't take any more than what that you need to take from them. Now, this sound familiar? We're seeing history repeat, but in the new covenant. Stop taking advantage of people's mishpots. Stop taking advantage of their rights. So during the days of Jesus, there were a ton of people whose mishpat was being taken advantage of. So we've seen the prophetic ministry of John. And then John looks and he says, wait a minute, there's someone better here than me, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unlatch. There is someone who is truly just and righteous. Now take a look at the inauguration of Jesus's ministry in Luke 4. Listen to what Jesus says. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He's in the synagogues. He opened the book and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel. Where? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. to Set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You notice that Jesus quoting Isaiah, he does not say, behold, I have been sent to preach real good sermons. Behold, I have come to build really big buildings. (laughs) Behold, I have come to preach masterpieces. No, he says, behold, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. I have come to proclaim the release of the captives. I have come to recover sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he said, this scripture's finished today because I'm here. The truly just and righteous one has showed up on the scene. So Jesus comes onto the scene and he first of all embodies this prophetic vision of Mishpat. He is constantly moving towards the vulnerable. He sought out People of lower status and included them as equals. He spoke to beggars like they were kings. Ha! He, come on, he woke, he walks up to harlots as if they were just like anybody else. And his holy presence alone commanded that they come up to par with who he was. But he had to go to where they were in order for them to even reach his status. What kind of man does this, let alone a God? <laughs> this Sadiq man, this righteous man named Jesus puts no investment into this world at all by means of building a home, even though he had the carpenter skills to do it. He said, I'm not here to build a house. That's not my purpose. I, in fact, at one point he says, I have nowhere to lay my head. My whole purpose for being here is for my image. That's my whole purpose in walking this planet. His mission was to move from place to place, spending time with what was made in his image, people. He does the unthinkable and he heals a demon-possessed man in Luke four thirty-one. even though nobody wanted to touch this guy. He was in the synagogues and nobody was willing to heal him. He goes against the law and he touches a leper in Luke five twelve. He makes a provocative move one day and he calls a hated tax collector. He doesn't just go to his house He doesn't just go to Levi's house, Matthew, but he says, why don't you follow me? Do you realize what that meant in that culture? He asked a Hellenist to follow him in Luke 5.27. He tears down walls by telling people to love their enemies in Luke 6.27. He goes outside the Jewish church and heals a well-hated Roman centurion servant and then tells his followers His Judaizer followers, he looks at him and he says, hey, this centurion who's a Gentile who doesn't even have the bloodline you have, I've not even seen this much faith, not even in your Mecca, Jerusalem. He says all of this in Luke 7. Do you realize how upsetting that would have been to look at a sinner Gentile and say, he's got greater faith than all the priests, even in Jerusalem, the highest place of religiosity. He admonishes a sinner woman for breaking an alabaster box and washing his feet with her tears in Luke 7, 36. He rebukes his disciples for wanting to pray fire to fall on a Samaritan city because they did not receive his message. After he preached in the Samaritan city, they didn't receive him. And the disciples said, do you want us to pray that hellfire would fall on the city? Jesus looks at them and rebukes them. He says, that's my image in there. No, I don't want hellfire to fall on these people. In Luke, This happened in Luke 9.51. 9, there was no social status. There was no social status too low and no sin too great to keep this Sadiq man away. There was nobody that was unwilling to be near this truly just and righteous man. He was not too proud. He was not too proud to spend time with the lower class. He was not too busy to speak to a child. He was not so high and lifted up that he couldn't be moved by the feelings of our infirmities. This was truly a Sadiq man. And on top of all of that, he was not too spiritual to sit with a sinner. His life, The house of Jesus was the floor model, the blueprints to which every house should be built after him. He was the chief cornerstone and he was building a neighborhood and he said, every house that's going to be built, make sure it follows this plan right here. And we just focus on the salvation portion of it, which is great because you can't even get this type of attitude without salvation. But what about following his life? We talk a lot about his death, burial, and resurrection, but what about his life? We have to emulate the floor model of his life. He was truly a Sadiq man. He sat with people, Samaritans, who there was major racial. Upheavals with between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus sits with them, meets with them by a well one day, and he's talking with a Samaritan woman. He reaches out and touches a centurion who was a Gentile and loves him. Jesus crossed cultural boundaries. He reached across racial borders. He reached across religious borders and he says, No, I'll touch the paralyzed. I'll touch the leper. Nothing. That is, nothing on this planet is too unclean for me. I've come to serve. <laughs> Listen to Luke 10. Listen to the teaching of this Sadiq man. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test. A lawyer in culture is a Pharisee and a Sadducee. And this, this man put him to a test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to in- inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? Basically, how do you perceive the law? And listen to what he says. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4 and Leviticus 19. Deuteronomy 6, 4 right here. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he quotes Leviticus 19. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing, listen to this, but wishing to justify himself, but wishing to be self-righteous is what that means. He said to Jesus, Well, Who is my neighbor? Who is is my neighbor that I should love him as myself? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down. He gives him a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest, a a spiritual person who was supposed to be a sadiq, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, another spiritual person, the Levite, also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But look at this, a Samaritan. This would have been very upsetting to hear that a a Samaritan is doing better than two spiritual people. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, Well, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Jesus was showing us how to be a sadiq right here. He was explaining to us what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to uphold righteousness and justice. Listen to another lesson that he teaches in Luke 11. I'm just going to follow in Luke. This is all through the Gospels, but I'm going to stay in the book of Luke. Luke 11:37. 37. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give that which is within as charity. And then all things are clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. He's like, you give a 10th of everything you have and you think you're real special because of that. But yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he said, woe to you lawyers as well. For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear while you yourselves will not even touch the burden with one of your fingers. He said, you're putting all this stuff on these people and you're making it harder for them to reach me and you're not even willing to go and help them carry the load. He said, you guys are like dead men and you don't even realize that people are walking on you like dead men in tombs. That's how dead you are to what I have come and called us to be. So justice and love are two sides of the same coin for Jesus. But we already knew that from Micah to do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly. So in terms of looking for those who are vulnerable, I have dozens upon dozens upon dozens of scriptures that I can show from Jesus' teaching. This is just literally a handful. But I'm going to give this last one in Luke 18 as I feel it segues well for what we're supposed to see in the book of Acts. Look at Luke 18. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not, he's quoting the 10, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, There's one thing you still lack, though. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was an extremely rich man. Jesus was looking at him and said, you have you fulfilled the relationship between me and you. You just haven't done real well with the relationship between you and the others. You notice that Jesus quoted, and I'm going to show you again, you notice Jesus quoted the, the part of the Ten Commandments that deal with God and man, do not commit adultery, that's man and man, do not murder, man and man, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. But you notice that Jesus is showing us here that he said you're not doing real, real well here because you are not looking out for the vulnerable. This is going to segue to the book of Acts here in a moment. But if you take a look at what begins to take place next after these scriptures, after Jesus lives the life of a sadiq, after he teaches on how, to be sadiq, on how to speak on behalf of other people's mishpat. Jesus basically goes and he doesn't pick up a sign and go protesting. He picks up a cross and he protests without saying a word. (laughs) In this moment, he was speaking on behalf of every person that had been taken advantage of, every person in all of human history that had been murdered, every person that had been lied on, every person that had been cheated, every person that had been slandered, every person that had a racial injustice done against them. Jesus said, I'm going to do something nobody's ever done. I'm going to pick up my, my, my sign and I'm going to go out in the street corner and I'm going to protest, but I'm not even going to have to say a word and my sign is going to be two beams of wood. The moment of the cross is precisely the moment where in Jesus, God disadvantages himself while also accomplishing recompense. The cross becomes the moment that the judge of all humanity, God Almighty, becomes the judged. Who Who is this Sadiq man that he was the judge of all mankind, but he closes his mouth and he says, Today I will be the judged for your behalf. Or you could say it's where both definitions of justice perfectly meet together at the cross, where God brings a just recompense of human evil. Because you remember that justice does mean that if you kill, there should be a payment. But justice more often is talking about retributive, not uh, or restorative rather than retributive. And at this moment, Jesus is getting retribution and restoration all at one time on the cross. He says... Somebody deserves to be punished for all the injustice that's being done. But here's what I'll do. You did the crime. I'll do the time. Why? Because the crime you did will get you locked away for eternity. But I know a lawyer that can get it reduced to three days on the cross. And the judge goes to the cross and the gavel drops. And he says, no, no, I'll take. He did what no other lawyer had ever done in history. This lawyer says, what my client has done, I'll take the penalty for it. And Jesus takes upon himself our retribution and he restores us. He was the perfect Sadiq man who retained our mishpat for us, even though we did not deserve it. He provides all of this by embodying mishpats for the poor, which is us taking it upon himself. So the cross is where God's love and justice meet together. Basically the cross was our Exodus. Do you remember the book of Exodus? The people were crying out and said, what's happening to us isn't fair. And God sends a redeemer to take them out. The cross, we were held bound by sin. And Jesus, the Sadiq man, went and spoke on behalf of our mishpat. And he gave us our exodus out of sin. He looked on us in our slavery to sin. And so the people of Jesus, us born again, born again children of God who are filled with the spirit, you and I should be at the forefront of, of creating this kind of mishpot, You and I should be well aware that I was a wretch undone. I was born in sin, yet this marvelous savior redeemed me from something I should be paying the penalty for, and his grace redeemed me. Let me go and do likewise. Christians should be the first ones to speak on behalf of the vulnerable. Christians should be the ones heralding the loudest, but while doing it the way Jesus did it. Jesus did not have to go out and protest. His life was a protest. His actions went and sat with the hungry. And I'll put this into a practical aspect. Do you know what the church should be doing right now? And here, I'm going to... I'm either going to help you or, or make you upset at me. And I just, I, I'm going to do this as humbly as I can. But do you realize that the police officer that killed George Floyd, do you realize he's on suicide watch right now? Yes, what he did is unjust. It is not fair. And thankfully, we have our eyes have been opened due to this apocalypse. And we see that there is a horrible injustice that's been done for years upon years. And we're getting the revelation saying, oh, this is what it feels like to be an African-American within American society. I see now. Let me correct my ways. But here's the reality of it. The church, somebody in the church has to raise their hand and say, you know what I'll do? I will go and visit the police officer in prison. I will go and sit with him and preach to him the gospel that his sins can be covered because of the man who went to the cross. While somebody in the church also has to raise their hand and say, while you do that, I'll go and sit with George Floyd's mother and weep with her. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. The church is not supposed to be Um, mad. The church is supposed to be full of grace and say, I'll go visit the police officer and I'll tell him that he can still be saved by grace. You go and visit George Floyd's mom. You go and comfort the people in your church who are vulnerable. You go and sit with the elderly. You go and visit with the people in your community, the African-Americans, and you herald on their behalf. Let them know that we're listening. But whatever you do, open your eyes and say, oh, this is what it feels like to be a part of society and to be vulnerable. This is the gospel This is the healthy approach to the gospel. We have to go and visit those that are in prison. Yes, I believe according to the law and according to the Bible, police officer has to to pay for the mistake he made, or maybe it's not even a mistake. Maybe it was just flat out hatred and murder. I don't know the heart of man, whatever. It, It appears that it was hateful, but even still, somebody has to visit him in prison. The church should be the first one volunteering and saying, I'll go visit, but let's not forsake all the rest around us that are vulnerable. We have people, you have people in your church, you have precious people of different ethnicities in your church that need you to go and sit with them and say, listen, social media aside, I'm listening. Help me understand. Reveal Let reveal to me what it feels like to be vulnerable in society. I want to learn. When we do that, that's what humility looks like. That is us when we say, oh, I see what it feels like. When we do that, we're humbling ourselves. We're turning from our Rasha ways, our wicked ways. Rasha, remember, is the opposite of Mishpat. We're turning from that. Then he will heal our land. The way we humble ourselves is we say, oh, this is the error of our ways. I hope that as you're hearing this, you're seeing what we're supposed to be doing as the church. While we're heralding on one side, we're forsaking another side. We have to balance this church out and say, okay let's make sure that we're doing everything the church is supposed to be doing so let's let's finish out tonight by looking at two more scriptures if you remember luke 18 where it talks about uh do not commit adultery one thing you still lack sell all your possessions and give to the poor i want to segue from luke 18 to acts 2 our favorite scripture now in the context they have been filled with the spirits the church has been inaugurated the church is now filled with this Sadiq man, Jesus Christ, the ultimate righteous and man who spoke up for Armish pot, is dwelling within the church now. And look what they do. Once you get the culture background, you cannot see anything else now. Nobody talks about this quite enough. Acts 2.45. After they were filled with the Spirit, they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. The church was saying, we're bringing it all the way back to Genesis where everybody was on common ground. I'm bringing it back to Canaan where all of us were, our mishpat was perfectly taken care of. Remember in the lesson we talked about in a perfect society, a God kingdom, there is no need for the death of one for the continued life of another. And this is being reinstated in Acts 2. The Spirit-filled church, Acting Sadiq says, why do I need all these riches? I'm going to help those around me. This is what the church is supposed to do. I'm not telling you that you that the government should be, um, that we should overtax people, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the government should be taking our wealth and everybody should be on common ground. I'm saying the church is supposed to uphold this standard. The church is supposed to look around and say, okay, who's vulnerable in society right now? And this is gonna be controversial And I'm I'm not going to say a whole lot about this, but the whole Tony Spell thing, a lot of people are harping and hammering. And I'm not going to tell you my opinion on how I feel about Tony Spell because that's not what matters. But you know what nobody has discussed about Tony Spell? About the fact that he got up and gave $26,000 to some people in his church that had lost their job during COVID-19. Whether you agree or disagree with his stance on not continuing in church, that's not what's on the table. Let's look at the fact that he at least did give Did we? And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that that covers uh, the other. I'm just, I'm wanting to bring some things to our attention. What have we done at this time? What have I done? That's a better question. What has been revealed to me? During COVID-19, this is, we've talked about COVID-19 and I feel a spirit of prophecy on me right now. During COVID-19 or during uh, 2020, there was a lot of prophetic words that 2020 would be the year of vision. and. Go and watch my short four minute video I put out this afternoon. It's talking about the the Hebrew idiom of having a good eye when Jesus says, if you have a good eye, then your whole body is filled with light and it's not filled with darkness. What he's saying there is he's not saying have 2020. It was a Jewish idiom that says you need to look well upon people who are of lower status than you. That's what it meant to have a good eye in Hebrew culture. And it's interesting to me that we have prophesied that 2020 is the year of vision. Is 2020 the year of having a better eye? Has 2020, or COVID-19 rather, has it taught us to take a step back and say, oh, this is what it feels like to be sick. Man, I've really enjoyed people visiting me in my sickness. I've gotten a revelation due to this apocalypse. I'm going to go and do likewise. This, the social injustice that has been revealed to us has said, oh, this is what it feels like to be an African-American in society. This is what it feels like to be vulnerable. Let me, let me speak on their behalf. I'm going to prophesy to you. The Lord has already spoke to me. The next thing that is coming, God is going to flip over the table of finances in North America. You can pinpoint this right now and come back to this in a few months. I believe it's going to happen between September and December. Our finances are going to get flipped on its head and we're going to see what it's like for the poor next. That's what's going to happen next. You mark my words prophetically that that's what's going to happen next. The finances of North America are going to be hit hard. And what we're going to do is we're going to have to get a revelation of Oh, this is what it's been feeling like all these years for the poor amongst us. I'm going to finish this with James 1. A lot of people say, uh, give me relationship, not religion. Well, the word religion's in the Bible, but watch what it says. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Do you see what the Bible is telling us? It is as clear as day. I've given you the Hebraic uh, concept so that we're not viewing the Bible through Western eyes. I've given you the Hebraic side. The Bible is clearly telling us what we're supposed to do. What you should be doing, what I should be doing as a born again child of God is we need to Shabbat. We need to cease. We need to take a step back and say, God, this is what it feels like to be sick this is lord george guy is sick let me let me send finances let me help tom foster is sick and i'm just naming people i know i'm not obviously not listing all of them lord i've seen that brother eli hernandez's family lost a husband lost a father let me sit with them and mourn lord i'm seeing that amongst our constituents the African American population feels overlooked. Let me let them know that I'm looking now. Lord, I'm seeing that right now there's there's things going on. The next thing that's gonna hit, you mark my words, the Lord is going to hit the finances. He's gonna flip over the table of our finances, and we're going to get a revelation of what it's like for the poor next. You wait and see. You watch, you wait and see. It's gonna, it's gonna hit. The Lord showed it to me strongly, and I'm speaking to you prophetically. What we need to do is it will not, and hear me, I'm going to speak to you prophetically because I don't speak to scare, I speak to prepare. What we need to be doing is there's going to be a church that is going to be unaffected by the financial downfall because we've been giving, and the world's going to look at us and say, why are you still doing so well financially? And our response is going to be this. We're going to say, because I've been giving my money away. And they're going to say, well, that doesn't make sense. How do you have money coming in? And we're going to say, because I've been taking care of the sick. I've been taking care of the poor. They're going to look at us and they're going to say, why is your health so good? And they're going to, we're going to look at them and say, because I've been sitting with the sick. They're going to look at us and say, why do you have peace during all this turmoil? And we're going to look at them and say, because I have wept with those that are weeping. I felt this so strongly today. I preached to a church in Brazil and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Israel, while they were in Exodus, Exodus. They didn't feel the effects. In fact, the Bible said the more they were persecuted, the more they grew. As all these things happen, the church is going to excel if we're adhering to mishpat and tzedakah. I am praying that you take these words. I am praying that it challenges you. I'm praying that it shakes you and it makes us into the church we're supposed to be. Let us be sadiq in these last hours. Let us look out for the mishpat, the rights of people around us. Let us treat every human being, no matter the nationality or color, as the express image of God. I love you. I pray this blesses you. But more than blesses you, I pray it provokes you. Because the work of the prophetic is to to, um, afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And so if you have been afflicted, I pray that this message comforts you. If you have been comfortable, I pray that it afflicts you. It afflicted me. In Jesus' name, I love you all. In Jesus' name, I will see you and I will be praying about whether to continue this series or not.